I've uh, encouraged you guys and challenged you guys that when uh, the Lord lays a psalm on your heart as a church, we've been going through the book of Psalms throughout this year. And if the Lord lays a, a psalm on your heart that uh, has been a favorite of yours, come and share it with us, you know. Um, Thomas had asked me about it a couple weeks ago. I said, absolutely, man. That's what I've been asking for. And he's the only one that's uh, took me up on it so far. So if the Lord lays a psalm on your heart, you don't have to comment on it. You just come and read it to us, and we get blessed by it. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 1 is where we are. We are this morning, and I am going to read the whole chapter this morning as we attempt to finish this chapter this morning. So Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him, and, they, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a garment down to, his, to the feet, and girded about the chest a golden band, his head, and hair were white like wool, as white as the snow, and his eyes like a flame, a flame 
a fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand the seven, had seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will come, will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Father, once again, we pray, we look to you, Lord, for direction and guidance, Lord God. As I, as I share this portion of Scripture, Give me wisdom. Give me understanding even as I speak, Lord. And help my brothers to have ears to hear, Lord God. Lord, do a work this morning in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters, and even those who may be here this morning who don't know you, Lord. Touch their hearts this morning. Reveal yourself in such a powerful way as we go through the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We are covering verses 9 through the end of the chapter this morning. In my notes, I have it to where I finish it off today. I am hoping we get there. Um, <laughs> it might be a stretch, but if I keep on talking, I won't get there. But verse 9, John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, in the tribulation in the kingdom, and the patience of Jesus Christ was on this island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, again, identifying himself with the people that he is writing to. This is the third time that John's name has already been mentioned in this book. We know he is the author of this book. There's no question about it here. But he is introducing himself once again or identifying himself as a brother and as a companion to those he is writing to. And I love the fact that he doesn't throw out his title. He doesn't say, I am John, the apostle, the apostle. You know, the apostle that Jesus loved so much. You know, his favorite, even though we know all that about him. He identifies with them, and he's not making himself any better than they are. And I like that about him. He, he is sharing with us that he is going through the same thing that everybody else was going through. And even though he was the apostle, his favorite, all this and that, the one that, that walked with Jesus, the one who, who was close to Jesus, the one that, that, that handled Jesus, as he says in 1 John chapter 1, uh, uh, of his book, he is just a brother. He is a brother in the Lord. He is a companion with the rest of the people. He comes alongside of them as one who, 
who is sharing and participating in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and in the patience of Jesus Christ, just like the rest of them. They were all going through those three different things that that he talks about here. The tribulation, obviously the tribulation that he's talking about here is not what he will be talking about later on, the tribulation or the great tribulation. Obviously that's not what he's talking about. He will talk about that later. But this, this is the tribulation that Jesus told them they would be going through. I mean, he told his disciples this, but I'm sure it got shared to the church at large that Jesus said that you will go through tribulations in this world. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John is going through these tribulations in his life. There were things that that he was not shocked about. He knew that these tribulations would come. Why? Because Jesus promised that you will go through these tribulations. And the word tribulation means pressure. Literally or figuratively, pressure. Affliction. Afflicted. Anguish. Burdened. Tribula- or persecution, tribulation, and trouble. That's what this word tribulation means. Now, again, we have been promised these things. And this is what accompanies Christians, whoever they are, no matter who they are, Christians go through tribulation. The Bible tells us that those who would follow Christ shall suffer tribulation. There will be pressure from outside and even from inside. Tribulation that's going on from from people coming out and even your own self, the the, the pressures that you put on yourself from the inside that cause, you know, affliction or or cause anguish or, 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 or just trouble. These are things that we should not be shocked about. He told us that we would go through that. And yet he said, when he was sharing to his disciples, but be a good cheer. Be of good cheer. I am with you. I have overcome the world. And if I overcome the world, it doesn't matter what tribulation you go through in your life. I have overcome that. And we have that promise that his peace is with us continually. But don't be shocked. When tribulation comes, but he says, along with the tribulation, he's writing to those that are sharing and participating in the kingdom as well. And all that the kingdom means, and all that the kingdom holds, both good and bad things that happen in our lives, because we are in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we have been set apart for God. But we have been set apart from the world as well. And so because of that, we're different. Not weird, but different. I know some of you guys are weird, but don't be weird just to be weird. As Christians, be different. I think people look at Christians and they're like, oh, those weirdos. No, they should look at it and say, no, they're just different. Because they're not going the course of this world Because we have become of a different kingdom than this world kingdom. 
This world kingdom and the things that this world kingdom offers, people go along with it and they blend into the world. But those who are of the kingdom of God are different. They're separate. They're separated. They're set apart. They're sanctified in that way. And so we do things that are different because we are of a different kingdom. And so because of that, the world comes against you. John also shares and participates in the patience of Jesus Christ, just like all the other Christians would. And the patience. And this word patience that we are to share in and participating or participate in is, is the, the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. That's what that word patience means. That, that we, we are able to have endurance in Jesus Christ. We are able to endure whatever pressures come upon us. It means to hold it up. <laughs> To be patient in that. And so he, he identifies himself as, as just like all the other Christians, that, that we're going through the tribulations, we're going through the kingdom stuff, and, and even the patience of Jesus Christ. John says that he was on the island of Patmos. Now, he wasn't vacationing there. He wasn't thinking, well, maybe I'll go to the island of Patmos and write a book. Have some time off. He wasn't there sitting around by the beach catching some rays, just digging life. In other words, he wasn't there by choice. He didn't choose to go to Patmos. Nobody really chose to go to Patmos. The island of Patmos, which was off the coast of Turkey, is about 10 miles long and about 6 miles wide. It, it, It was the Alcatraz of the Roman Empire in that day. It was a prison island, but a lot bigger than Alcatraz. At the time, it was not a tourist island as it is now. Again, you could Google it, check it out, and see some of the sites that are there. But it's a prison island. People were there on a different kind of vacation, They were there as prisoners, spending some time away from society. They were there for a different type of... It was a different... for different reasons. And it was a very rocky and desolate type of island. And the prisoners that were there, they were used in the quarries. It is believed that it was rich in marble. And so most of the prisoners were used as forced labor. Now keep in mind, the Apostle John is on this island and he is in his 80s, even 90s years. years. He's in that realm. He's an older man. And yet he's being there as a prisoner and he's working. People were, were, it was used to banish people, to get rid of them for a while. And John was exiled there because he says because of the word of the lord or word of god and because of the testimony of jesus christ that which was given to him in verse 2 that we covered just a while ago that he would bear witness of the word of god and and of the testimony of jesus christ that is what landed him there (laughs) get that it's like he's doing what god told him to do he's doing god's will 
It's like, here, here, you're going to write this, you're going to do this, you're going to be a a testimony for me, and because of that, he lands on this island. He is banished. He is exiled for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. But what better place to be at? This was the perfect place for him. And you might be thinking, what? He's doing the will of God and he gets banished? And you're saying it's a perfect place? Absolutely. It it, it was meant for a silencing of Jesus Christ, but God used it for a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what happened. While he was doing the will of the Lord, he gets banished. And because he is put in this bad situation, God uses it for his glory, and we get to experience the revelation of Jesus Christ today because of those actions of the Romans to toss him over to that island. In verses 10 and 11, it says that he was, on the, uh, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Oh no, the first and the last. <laughs> and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, some think that the Lord's day that is being referred to here is a Sabbath day or the Sabbath day. And it's possible, but not likely. Others think that this means the day of the Lord. But contextually, it just doesn't lend itself for it being that because it was before the vision. And so it, even though he would experience the day of the Lord and see the day of the Lord, contextually, it really is probably not that. More than likely, and this is where I stand and this is the way I lean, it was a Sunday the Lord's Day. Probably in the morning. I threw that one in. In the morning, because shouldn't every Christian be in the Spirit on Sunday morning? That's why I threw it in. It's like everybody should be in the Spirit on Sunday mornings. If you call yourself a Christian, you should be in church. That's what I'm saying. I know you could be in the Spirit at home, on your bed. I know that. But he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, Sunday is the first day of the week, and it is often referred to in that way. But believers started referring to it as the Lord's day because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the day he resurrected. And and then they began to meet corporately. I mean, they got together all the time, but corporately on the Lord's day. And so... More than likely, he, on the Lord's Day, he was in the Spirit on a Sunday morning. Now, some think, as it says that he was in the Spirit, some think that John was, in, was having some kind of out-of-body experience here. <laughs> they often think, too, that he was on some kind of a religious ecstasy that took him on this crazy trip, spiritually speaking. Because it just sounds too crazy. When you read the rest of this book, it's like, dude, what were you on? 
what was going on in your life at that time. More than likely, though, he was just worshiping Jesus. He was worshiping God. And he was meditating on who God is. In other words, he was worshiping in spirit and in truth. He was, he, he was in a place where he was not only there to, to worship God, but he was there to listen to God. Just like John 4, 24 tells us, those who worship him must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I believe that's where John was at. He, he was in such a place that he was just meditating on the Word of God and who Jesus is. And guys, you put yourself in that place and He will reveal to you His Word. He will honor that time that you spend with Him. And if you're there to listen, He will speak. But all too often, I think when we want to spend time with Jesus, God, I have the big old laundry list, Lord, that I really need in my life. And if you don't give it to me now, I don't know if I'm going to talk to you again. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be in the spirit of selfishness. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like oftentimes we are there because it's like, God, come on. Tell, I, chop, chop. You've you got to do something in my life here. No, he was in the spirit and he was in a place where he was not only worshiping, but he was there meditating and he was there ready to listen. So now with all that we have already kind of heard this morning, the fact that there's tribulation going on, the fact that being part of the kingdom brought about other kinds of pressures from the world and being patient, enduring the things in Jesus Christ, knowing that he is on this island because he's been banished from the rest of society because he's preached the word and, and, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. How is it that he is now in the spirit? How is that? Because oftentimes when people are going through so much in their life, that's the last place they are at in the spirit. More than likely, they are so bummed out because I can't believe that you're letting this happen to me, God. Why me? Why, 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 why do I get all the junk? <laughs> why does it always happen to me? And yet, knowing what we know in these short two verses that we've already covered, it's like, how in the world does John say, I was in the Spirit. I was worshiping. I was meditating on who God is. <laughs> With all that had happened to him, and all that was happening to him. How could he worship God in the spirit? How could he do that? It wasn't the best of circumstances. And yet he finds himself in a place where he can still worship God. And still hear from God. You see, he made a choice to put himself there. Guys, I know that we go through a lot of stuff in our lives. Every stinking one of us goes through something in our lives that is so overwhelming. That seems like, Lord, why are these pressures upon me? Why am I going through this? And it gets, it gets to a point where it's like, I don't even want to be at church. I don't even want to read. I don't want to do these things. And because of that, you put yourself in a place that you exile yourself from where you need to be. And we allow the circumstances to dictate our worship to God. 
Instead of, regardless of the circumstances, putting yourself in a place where you are on your face, on your knees, or however it is, worshiping in His Word, meditating on Him, because John puts himself in a place where he can hear from God. Because he knows that God is able. He has seen God work many, many times. And because he puts himself in a place of worship, puts himself in a place of meditation and being in the Spirit, he's able to hear behind him a loud voice. (laughs) He lent himself to that. He lent himself to hear what God had to say to him. Even in these circumstances, he lent himself. Instead of being so bummed out on the island of Patmos. No matter what the circumstances were that he was facing. He was there to hear the voice. The loud voice. Now it's interesting, these words, loud voice. The word loud in the Greek is megas. And the word for voice is phone. In other words, God uses or used and uses a megaphone to speak. He speaks loud when we listen. Through everything else that goes on in our lives, He is speaking directly to you. He speaks in a megaphone, (laughs) in a loud voice. To get through all the noise that is in the world to speak directly to you. That's who he is. And John had lent himself, put himself in a place where he was able to listen, to hear the voice of the Lord. Now remember, John knew the voice of Jesus when he was here on earth. But that was some 60 years ago since he had heard the voice of Jesus. But this is not the same Jesus And we'll see that in the next part. This time, the voice of Jesus sounded like a trumpet, which speaks of power. And it was so powerful, unlike anything he had ever heard before. And it demanded a reaction from him. It demanded respect, attention. And in verse 17, we see that that John hits the ground in awe. He puts his face to the ground as a dead man, but yet he answers the call. Jesus, again, introduces himself in the same way as he did in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There he said the beginning and the end. Here he says the first and the last. The idea behind these titles is that Jesus is that He is before all things and He will remain beyond all things. He is everlasting. He is all-powerful. From beginning to end, before all things and beyond all things. And He tells John to write what He sees. And notice He doesn't say, write what you hear. He says, no, write what you see. Even though He would hear uh, of what's going on around Him, John is once again going to be an eyewitness 
of what God is doing. He will testify of these things by sending what he writes down to the other churches, to the seven churches. And so the instructions are clear. Not only in this verse, but also in verse 19. It's not something that he is making up. He wasn't on this bad, crazy trip that will alter your mind in that sense. It's like, uh, it just doesn't make sense. No, it is clear. It is clear. It is something that he will see and write down. In verses 12 to 18, it says in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Notice that the voice did not talk at him, did not speak to him, it spoke with him. With him. And this speaks of relationship, of communication. It it speaks of dialogue. Even though John is not going to talk a lot, he is engaged in this conversation. He is engaged in what is going on in, in the spirit here. And in regards to the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars, we'll touch on that if we get there, to verse 20, in verse 20. But first, let's go over and cover the seven things that John describes about Jesus. John is seeing Jesus in a whole new light. Oh, John had caught a glimpse of of something like this when he was on the mountain of transfiguration, but not to this extent. And I do believe that it is, it is because Jesus was still on mission on the mountain of transfiguration. Even though he had turned into this bright color, this bright white, that it was way beyond white. I believe that he didn't see him to this extent because Jesus was on mission to die for the sins of the world still. And he was being ministered to by Moses and Elijah at the time. And John saw him in glory, but he saw him as the lamb and not as the lion. But before we go into the seven descriptions that, the, uh, of Jesus here in verses 12 to, to 17, let's go over to, to Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel's right after the book of Ezekiel, um, if you want to get there. <clears throat> But if you turn over there, I, I, I want to read some things to you, the similarities that Daniel gives in regards to the vision that he saw and the vision that John sees here. And in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, we'll go 9, 13, and then chapter 10. In verse 9 of chapter 7 of Daniel, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne like a fiery flame, its wheels a burning uh, fire. In verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse, or go over to chapter 10, verse 5. 5 through 9. Daniel, still speaking, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, 
whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet as burnished brass in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but the great ter- but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled, and to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned into frailty in me, and I restrained re- retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep in my, on my face with my face to the ground. So you see that the similarities are amazing from Daniel and Revelation. But in Daniel chapter 12, or chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, as he turned to see who spoke to him, in verse 13, it talks about his clothing. Jesus' clothing, he said, uh, more than likely, this is a long robe, like a priestly robe, as his role is the great high priest, which he could only have after the resurrection. Jesus never identified himself as a priest while he was on earth. But after the resurrection, he became our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And with the golden band or sash that was on him, it symbolizes his deity. The next one is his hair, his head and his hair in verse 14. These symbolize wisdom and purity. But they also describe the ancient of days as we read in Daniel. This title in Daniel refers to God the Father, but it has equal application to Jesus as we see it here. His eyes in verse 14 still. His eyes. Nothing is hidden from him. He is all seen. Even darkness is as light before him and the flames of fire speak of judgment and he will judge in righteousness. In verse 15, his feet they are brass and, furn- and, and gone through the furnace. And both of these speak of judgment. But this r- verse refers to someone who has walked through the fires of judgment and has come through it with refined purity, speaking of Jesus. Because he did all of that. He went through the refiner's fire on man's behalf speaks of his voice in verse 15. I don't know if you're around a, a huge waterfall. I've never been to Niagara. These, all this water is just coming, the force of all the waters coming through. And then to add on top of that, the sound of a trumpet that's coming out of the voice. For John, this, in his human state, this must have been so incredible, overwhelming, trying to comprehend his voice here. It wasn't the same voice that he had heard when he was in human form. This was different. 
And then in verse 16, it talks about out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, his mouth. This speaks of the word of God, the things that were spoken. As we are told in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And the word of God is meant to cut and to penetrate the heart of man. And it cuts as it goes in, and it cuts as it goes out. That is the word of God. His countenance, in verse 16, for you non-King James people, that means His face. And it speaks of His glory. Jesus is the true light, and in Him there is no darkness, as 1 John 1, 5 tells us. The only way that John could explain His countenance was that like a the sun shining in its strength. But as I look at this, I'm thinking, man, this is such a different realm for John. This is way beyond what he could even imagine or think. And so he's, he's trying to put it into words that we can understand. This is what it looks like. You know when the, when the sun is like at his brightest? That was Jesus' face. But I could see it. It was different. He could gaze upon it and know that it was the face of Jesus. This is a different realm. This vision that John saw, everything speaks of strength and power and majesty and authority and righteousness. He has seen the real Jesus. This is Jesus in all His glory, but not, in, not as the Lamb that came to take on judgment, but as the Lion that comes to bring judgment. So He's seeing Him in a different light. When John saw Him here on earth, he got to see things that blew his mind. But this was different. This was totally different what he was experiencing at this time. But I could guarantee you it made more sense to him than it did before. It, it just had to. As he's watching this vision, even though it's going to blow his mind, it was making sense to him because he was able to write it down. In verse 17, he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as one as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. John does what any of us would have done. <laughs> yeah, I, I know people think like, Yeah, man, when I see Jesus, man, I'm going I'm to say this. I'm gonna say. It's like, no, you're not. You're going to fall flat on your face like a dead man. <laughs> like a dead man. It's going to take all your strength out of you. It's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but look what Jesus does. He reaches down to John with his right hand and he touches him and he lifts him back up. And I'm sure John remembered that touch. Now, he doesn't drop the seven stars that are in his right hand. As we read earlier, he has, the right, he has the seven stars in his right hand. And yet with his right hand, he reaches down. And, and, and as I was looking at that, I'm thinking, no, his right hand speaks of power and authority. And Jesus is able to do a whole lot with his right hand. 
You see, he might be taking care of all the universe. But if you have fallen and you're down, he still has time to raise you up with his right hand. It doesn't matter. His right hand is strong. He could do anything multiple times a day with his right hand at the same time, everywhere. That's how powerful he is. But he says to him, do not be afraid. And I'm sure John had heard those words before many times when he was here on earth. And the assurance here is that John did not need to be afraid. And I don't think John was afraid like, oh my gosh, he's going to come and judge me. But I'm sure Jesus said, hey, you, don't have, you have nothing to worry about. You have no, there's no fear of your judgment. I already paid for your judgment on the cross. Remember, you saw me. I paid for that. He had already been judged. But here where he says, do not be afraid, he adds, I am the first and the last. I am from, from before all things, and I am beyond all things. I am your righteousness. I am everything. You don't have to worry. Don't be afraid. Verse 18 says, I am he who, who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and hell. Can you imagine what John must have felt like at this very moment? As he's hearing these things, you see, John was there when Jesus was crucified. He saw him die. He was one of the few disciples that was there at the cross. So he understood that he had died. He knew that. But he's seen him very much alive. And I'm sure at the time that he died, he felt this hopelessness within him, within him just like all the other disciples, that it was all over. But then he was one of the guys that went to the tomb, the empty tomb, and he saw Jesus alive, very much alive. And I'm sure that brought back the hope. And he hung around with them for about 40 days, but he saw him leave in Acts chapter 1. That was the last time he had seen him physically. It's about 60 years later. <laughs> Can you imagine everything that was going on through his mind? Seeing Jesus after all those years, but this was a different Jesus. He saw him different. Jesus revealed him to himself in a different way. John knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, never to die again. He had preached it. He had written about it. And now it was all confirmed that day when he saw him and heard him. And he knew that he knew that he knew <laughs> for sure. Now, Jesus also says, and I have the keys to Hades and death. I, some people think that, dev, that the devil is the one that rules hell. He does not rule hell. Jesus has the authority over all of that. He has the keys, and he will never lend the keys out to Satan. <laughs> Satan, if anything, is the most tortured and the most punished in hell. He has no right. He has no power when it comes to hell and to death in that sense. Verses 19 and 20, where he says, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This 
is the outline for the book of Revelation, for the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is told to write the things which he has, he has seen, those things that are right here in chapter 1. Write those things. That would be the past at this point. And write the things which are, and that would be chapters 2 and 3 which would be the present of when John was, was writing, addressing the local churches that he would be sending this revelation to. And then he says, and the things which will take place after this. And that would be from chapters 4 to the end of the book, the future. He is to write all these things. It's a simple outline. You know, oftentimes we can look at the book of Revelation and get confused, but there is a past, present, and future tense to it throughout. Some of the times that we're going to be looking at it is stuff that's already happened. And then there's going to be stuff that it's like, whoa, this is going on. But a lot of it is future tense. And we look to that. We look to what is going to happen in the future. Because, guys, we really can't change the past. Today it is what it is. <laughs> but we look towards the hope that we have in the future. And in verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. He gives us the interpretation of what the seven angels are. Now, some believe that these angels are angels, per se. Others think that they are the pastors of these seven churches, regardless of what they are, and people will, will lean this way or that way. They are messengers that, that, that are in the hand, of the, uh, the right hand of Jesus Christ. Again, guys, you know, as we go through the book of Revelation, we shouldn't, I mean, people look at it and study it differently. And we shouldn't have division in the church because of the book of Revelation, because it is here or there, this way or that way. And so, is it pastors or is it angels? I don't know at this point. But I do know that they are messengers. And they were in his right hand. And he was sending them to go minister to these seven churches, which happened to be the seven golden lampstands that he was talking about. And we'll get into that next time as we move on to chapter 2. But I'm excited. I'm excited to get into the churches, guys, because this is where we can have a lot of the application for our lives today. And hopefully I can do it justice. So continue to pray for me as we go forward in the book of Revelation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you have uh, shown us your word once again, the fact that we were able to read the whole chapter, Lord God, and listen to your word in total, Lord, to see the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, the way you described it to John, Lord, that's what he was able to write so that we can understand it, Lord God. We know that the book of Revelation is not a hidden book. It's a book of Revelation. <coughs> that we could see Christ revealed, Lord. And as we've seen Christ revealed in this fashion, in this chapter, Lord God, Lord, there's power behind who Jesus is. Lord, we often look at Jesus 
in his earthly state, and it was powerful enough, but to be able to see him with glory and power. Lord, I pray that as believers, Lord God, we would be excited to know that, Lord, he can handle everything because of who he is, because of the description that we have of him here, that no matter the circumstances that we're going through, that we can be in the spirit and serve him because he is all-powerful. He is everything. And so, Lord, help us to understand that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, Lord, and that we can trust him. Thank you so much, Father. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room this morning right now, Lord. Lord, you know who they are. This morning, Lord God, you, you have brought them here to speak to them. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, Lord, you are calling them out and you're beginning to separate them from this world. And Father, I pray that right now, wherever they stand, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be coming upon them right now. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking to you who have dedicated your life time and time again. I'm talking if you're here and you really know you are not a Christian. You see, he will come back to judge sin. But see, he came the first time to judge our sin on the cross. And if you have not come to the cross to repent, then this morning I want to give you that opportunity. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you where you're standing right now. If, if you felt like, man, I, I thought I was a Christian, but I think I'm so far away from God. I need him right now. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody this morning that I could pray for? to bring you back to that place that you are in awe with who Jesus is. Because he's calling out to you. Father, I do pray, God, right now for my brothers and sisters. Lord, each one of them is in a different situation, a different, different place, Lord circumstances that are going on in their lives right now. And they needed to hear this morning that you are everything. That you can touch even in the worst of circumstances. If we just lend ourselves, put ourselves in the place of worship, in the place, Lord, of meditating, allowing your spirit, Lord God, to speak. someone here, Lord God, who just didn't raise their hand and should have convict their hearts and draw them to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.